So we're going to keep moving along in our series. Who has been blessed by this series so far? If you have been here, if you've caught it online after the fact, if you didn't get a chance to catch Pastor Renee's message last week, do yourself a favor and give it a listen. It is absolutely a prophetic word and a movement for um, not only this church, but I believe the church across the world. And so um, do that if you haven't done it yet. I highly encourage you to do that. And so this morning we're going to continue on with serious things and um, spiritual warfare is one of them. It is one of the spiritual, or the, I'm sorry, the most serious things we can discuss. And I believe that as Christians, we have two different sides of this coin when it comes to this topic. The first is that we have, uh, we can have a um, potential to overemphasize the spiritual nature. And then on the other flip side of the coin is we underemphasize the things of the spiritual nature. Some blame every sin, every conflict, every problem on demons. Everything is demons, everything is devils, right? Like, oh my gosh, this is happening again. Some blame, but others completely ignore it and say it doesn't exist. It's not real, it's not something that haunts us or bothers us. But the Bible tells us specifically that our battle is against spiritual powers. And so this morning, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 12, this is where we'll start, and it says this, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, contending only with physical opponents, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of the present darkness, so it is today, and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly or supernatural places. So the key to successful spiritual warfare as believers is biblical balance. And I'm going to say this, not every flat tire you have is because a demon came and poked a hole in it. Sometimes you forgot to check the tire pressure on your way to the driveway. Sometimes that just is what it is. Okay? Um, and how do I know this? How can I say, well, well, no, sometimes, okay, yes, sometimes I get it, I get it. John 16, chapter 16, verse 33 tells us, in this world we will have trouble. There'll be stuff that comes up. There's going to be stuff that is out of our control and is so random sometimes. But don't worry, Jesus is already there. He's already got it. He's already overcome all of it. So you're going to have some troubles. But sometimes the warfare and the tension that we feel, even as believers, not believers, it doesn't even matter, um, some of it's self-inflicted. Some of it is. Some of it is stuff we project on ourselves, and they go, why am I experiencing this warfare? Why do I feel so attacked right now? But it's because our heart is not in the right place with Jesus. It's because we have something going on with somebody else around us that we need to make right, that we need to fix. And I will promise you, if that is the issue, that attack that you're feeling will lift. When you fix your heart, when you fix that thing with between you and the Lord, you fix that thing with that brother or sister or family member. So it's important to understand that and realize that we are in a constant war. Sometimes it is spiritual, and sometimes it is carnal. And the carnal is what we see in front of us, and the, that thing, the war and the supernatural, is in constant motion, although it is often unseen. And Jesus, in the scriptures, sometimes he did cast out demons. We see that very clearly in the, in the scriptures. And other times he healed people with no mention of the demonic. He simply healed them. So we, we need to be balanced in our understanding of the supernatural and in warfare. So I've been 
a Christian for about 30 years. I grew up in the church. You could say I, you know, slept in the pews probably here and there. So I've been a Christian a long time. And I have witnessed some things. I've witnessed, I remember this was probably, oh gosh, maybe close to 20 years ago, being at a camp down in Mexico and um, pastor is speaking and he He's talking about deliverance. He's talking about these things. And I can remember a young girl, probably 15, 16 years old, and she went forward for prayer, and she was demonized. And so in that moment, they began to pray for her, and she began to manifest. She, the demon started to show itself. And it took three to four, um, they were like older young adult men, to hang on to her, and she literally flailed them because the demonic is real. It is real. She did experience freedom. It took some time, but she did experience freedom. I have, um, as a, a married woman, my husband and I have gone to different places, and I can remember being at a church in um, Central America in Honduras, and a woman came up for a prayer and we began to pray for her. Our team began to pray for her, and she started to show signs of demonic manifestation. And so my husband took, took the reins, and he said to the team that was there, begin to pray in the spirit. We're going we're gonna to pray for this woman. We're going to take authority over this. And she fell to the floor, and she began to make some um, interesting motions. And we could tell what was happening. And I remember being in that moment and calling down angels to hold her to the floor. And we did what we had to do. We, we were able to, um, to pray for that woman. And just a few weeks ago, my husband, uh, some of you know, he traveled back to his hometown of um, Cordoba, Argentina, he had to take care of some family business while he was um, down there. And I was sad, it may be a bit bitter that I wasn't with him, to be honest, because we often, always, actually not even often, always travel together. It's always something we do. And so I was not happy that he was 5,000 miles away and I was here and, um, and he was seeing family and friends. Um, but while he was away, we had some frustrating things going on in the house. My kids had some interesting things happen, right? So you would think with a couple of the stories I just shared with you, I would immediately say, oh, oh, devil, don't you dare. No, that's not what I did. And that I was frustrated and that I was angry, <laughs> that I was bitter, that I wasn't with him. And he's there and he's so far away, but he's having these, he's meeting people and he's having these strategic conversations and he's, talking to people and he's blessing people and he's serving people and he's in a place that we both love and he's in a place that we both feel a calling to that we want God to do something great in and if you don't know Argentina is a birthplace for revival and it's in his blood and it's who who he is right so um he's down there and I'm jealous and so I could feel though actually what happened let me tell you this so it wasn't my kids it wasn't me that I was like oh devil you suck back off. No. You know what happened? I came home from work on a Friday night and my son was home and he had just let our dogs out. We have three dogs. And I said, oh, Nate, go get the dogs. He opened the door. Two out of three came in and I saw he went outside and um, he comes back in. He's holding my dog. We have three dogs. One of them is his. One of them is my husband's. One of them is mine. Mine is the best one. I don't do we have a picture of Olive. I did send it. Hopefully it can come up. She, she is. She is the best one. She's the best one. She's the sweetest in the kind of. But anyway, so he had to carry her in. And my little dog 
starts like stumbling like a like a drunken sailor. I don't mean any no offense to <laughs> but he starts like losing it. And I'm like, what is happening? So Nathan and I rush my sweet little dog, the best one, to the emergency pet hospital in Mission Valley. And we sit there and they take her vitals and they do all these things. And they, um, they determine that she needs basically the animal form of Dramamine for five days and she's got vertigo. So, okay, so we go to bed, I give her the medicine, I'm like, Jesus, I know when she wakes up in the morning, she's going to be a different dog, and we're going to be fine. Well, she got up in the morning, and the poor thing was dizzy as could be, could not even stand. She peed on my couch because she just was a mess, poor thing, and I cried. I just cried. I stood in my front lawn, and I just cried because this is my dog, the best dog, and so then I was in my kitchen, and I think Renee actually had texted me to say, hey, how's the dog? Well, as she was texting me, it dawns on me. This is the devil. This is the devil. It wasn't when he went after, when I, <laughs> going after my kids. It wasn't when I was frustrated over things. It was when he went after my dog that it finally dawned on me. And I think that I'm usually a pretty discerning person. I wasn't in that moment. But I tell you what, I stood in my kitchen that morning, I, I actually had mentioned to, to Pastor Renee, I really feel heavy. I feel like there's weight to this. And she confirmed it. She said, I, I agree. What you're explaining to me is not natural. And so I stood in my kitchen, and I took authority over my house. And I took authority over even my husband being far, far away in the moments that he was having in the strategic meetings that God was placing him in with people. And I prayed, and I, and I took the bull by the horns until the weight lifted. And I could feel very tangibly when it lifted. My dog didn't get better. My kid's circumstances didn't necessarily change right away. But I knew what I had done in the spirit. I could feel what I had done in the spirit. So the first thing that we need to realize when we, we talk about warfare of any kind is that there's an enemy that must be acknowledged. We have to acknowledge that there's an enemy who must be defeated and who must be stopped. Right? He doesn't have a place. Carl Vaders, who is a, a pastor up in Orange County at Cornerstone, uh, said this, we cannot defeat what we first don't acknowledge. We have to acknowledge what is in front of us. We have to acknowledge that we have an enemy. And this enemy, he started actually in the book of Genesis in the garden, and he has been after us ever since. That is the truth of the matter. So we all know the story of Adam and Eve. They're put in paradise. They're given every good thing. The Lord just says, just don't eat of this one tree. Everything else you can have, you'll be blessed. Just don't touch this one tree. We know the story. Eve didn't listen. She went to the tree. The serpent met her there. He lied to her. He told her that it was fine, that God was just being manipulative, that he didn't want them to be the same. And so what does she do? She goes ahead. She eats the fruit. And all of mankind to this day is eternally damned. And here we are in this warfare. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Scripture tells us to be on guard because the enemy is like a lion who prowling around just waiting to devour his prey. And if it's not clear by now, we are his prey. You and I are his prey. We are the thing that he is after. He's waiting. He's looking for us to put our guard down. He's waiting. He's just waiting to get us. John 10, 10 says the thief comes to only 
to steal, kill, and destroy. That is his only job, is to come and steal from you the things that God has placed in your life. It is to destroy the dreams that you have, and it is to eventually kill you off from everything that you could be set for in the kingdom. It is to take you out of commission. That is his only job. It is the only thing he lives for. So our strategy is this. We know who our enemy is in this warfare that we, we face. And we clearly see in the word that we have an enemy. We clearly see who he is. We clearly see what he is about. And sometimes he doesn't come in these loud, thunderous, like crazy ways, although sometimes he does. Often, though, he comes through lies. Often he comes through deceit, through bitterness, through anger. Those are, those are his strategies, his weapons of warfare that he comes at us with. And here's what we need to understand that um, as we go through the top, this topic this morning, we're going to see and acknowledge our enemy. We are going to point straight in his face and say, we see you. We know who you are. We are acknowledging what you are about. And while we can say that, we also, though, have to understand that we, as much as we have a very real enemy, we have a very real God who sits on the throne, who is all, he always wins. He always wins. If you read the book of Revelation, he wins. And because he wins, we win, because we're his children. Billy Graham once said, I've read the last page of the Bible. It's all going to turn out all right. It's all going to be okay. But in the, in the meantime, we've got some work to do. So this morning, I want to remind us with a familiar, a familiar phrase that we say often, we don't fight for victory, we fight from it, right? right? Victory over every situation, past, present, future, is under, it's already covered. It's already covered under the blood of Jesus. So we don't have to grovel for our victory. We stand and we know that it is ours. Luke 10, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 19 says this, listen carefully. I've given you authority that you now possess to tread on serpents and scorpions and the ability to exercise authority over all the power of the enemy, Satan, and nothing will in any way harm you. So the warfare we face today is already won in the spirit. It's already been covered at the cross. But we have to come up, not come up, the Bible gives us strategy. It gives us a way to fight back. It gives us the tools that we need to defeat the enemy that is in front of us. And if you think of it like this in terms of, I'm not get, gonna get like super into it, but you think of it in terms of even um, the, the soldiers, the armies um, of the United States, right? There is no army, no soldier that would go to, go to war without a clear picture of who they are battling. They wouldn't just go um, out without strategy, without weapons to defeat, right? You go with the purpose of defeating, you go with the purpose of winning. And so there's no army here or in any other country that would go out without strategy, without saying, I know who my enemy is, and I know what I need to do to win. So can you imagine if that was the, the strategy of the United States? And we said, well, we just, you know, the president woke up one day and just said, I think it's a great idea if we just go to this nation and we just take it over with no preparation, with no strategy, with no idea what they were going into. I don't feel like it would go very well. I feel like it really might backfire on them. But, and why is that? Because warfare is serious. It's a serious thing. Your enemy has to be recognized and known before you get into this. 
And we also have to properly know how to use the weapons given to us in order to win the war. Because you have to know how to protect yourself. And you have to know how to protect the people around you. And without clear understanding of the battle and the enemy and that is in front of us, we will lose. Jesus already won. He already has the victory. But if we don't stand properly with him and fight properly with him, we can still lose and still really face a lot of junk in this world that we're never intended to face. <clears throat> Without fixing our eyes on Jesus, who's the author and finisher of our faith, we will find ourselves in some really deep, dark places, guys. Anybody ever, can you relate to that? I can relate to that. We find ourselves in these places, and there's not a way out because we took our eyes off of Jesus. So just as a person, power, president, king, would not go to war without strategy, would not go to war without recognizing what is in front of them, what they're, they're going after here. Why should we? Why should we? Why should we not know what we need to carry with us into the battle? John 14, 16 talks about a counselor. You know, all, all presidents and kings, they have a council that they would sit with you know, the, the generals, the, the people, the hierarchy in the military, and say, what do we do? Where are we going? What, what's the strategy in this? And they get wise counsel. And so we also as believers should look for wise counsel in that of the Holy Spirit. And so John 14, 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, comforter, an advocate, an intercessor, a counselor, a strengthener, a standby to be with you forever. So even though we're in a spiritual battle, we are not alone. The first thing we recognize, we're not alone. He gave us what we need. The Holy Spirit's our counselor. The Holy, you, need, you need answers? He's a counselor. He's a good counselor. He's the best counselor. He's our comforter. He's an advocate. He stands in the gap for us, and he, he intercedes on our behalf. He strengthens us as we go forward in, in every battle that we face. You know, we, we talk about, um, we know, actually, now we talk about we know, that prayer is a weapon in warfare. We know that the Bible says that his house will be called a house of prayer. We know that it says to pray continuously in all circumstances. Give thanks. Pray continuously. Worship. We know that worship is another weapon against the tactics of the enemy. Why was it that in, in biblical times the worshipers were sent out first into the battle? Because they set a tone, they set a pace, and they called in the presence of Jesus. So there was a reason for those things. And I don't know about you, but for me, those are my easiest weapons. I can pray in my car. I can set aside time in my house, and I can, I can just pray, and I can just be with my dad, and I can just call on him. I can worship, again, in my car. I do a lot of these things in my car because I live far away, so I drive a lot. But I meet with the Lord, I promise. So I can do that, and I can, and I can call on him when I'm sitting across from a student who's having a meltdown, and I, I may not be able to pray in the spirit out loud and like, you know, super, super vocal, but under my breath, I can ask for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Jesus, what does the student need in this moment? I know I can call on those things, and he will answer. He will answer. They are vital, important weapons that we carry as believers against the enemy and what he attempts to do to us. But there are more ways. There are more tools. There are more strategies that he gives us in the scripture. So this morning, we're going to read through Ephesians chapter 6, six uh, verse 10 through 18. And we're going to talk about the armor of God. 
we're going to talk about the weapons that he gives us. Those things that enable us to stand firm against the adversary that wants to still, steal, kill, and destroy you and I. No army, no soldier again would go into a battle without his gear. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Without their weapons, without carrying proper weaponry on them. That would be so foolish. It'd be so foolish, wouldn't it? Well, I'm here. I'm here to fight today. I don't have anything to defend myself. I don't have anything that's going to protect me. I'm just, but I'm just going to go to war. Really? Probably not. Probably not. It's foolish. And this is just a, a fun detail that a soldier's gear can weigh anywhere between 80 to 110 pounds. That's just the gear. And then you added a weapon on top of that, it's like an extra 50 pounds or so. And probably more or less give or take depending on what is happening. That's some heavy stuff that in the physical, a soldier has to carry. And so as believers who are engaged in spiritual warfare, we'd be foolish not to arm ourselves properly in the war and in the battle that is around us. So let's read Ephesians chapter 6 together, verses, uh, starting verse 10 through verse 18. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Verse 18, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. That's Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Put these things on so that after the battle, you'll still be standing. In the battle, you'll be standing. After the battle, you will still be standing. How many of you know that God doesn't put things in the Bible as suggestions? He doesn't put things in there as like good ideas, right? So everything he puts, he has given us in scripture is with purpose. It is, if, so if he's saying put on every piece of this armor so you'll stay standing, he means it. We cannot afford to have one and not the other or three out of four, you know what I'm saying, right? And if you want to be able to win the battle. You want to have victory in your family. You want to have victory over your own personal struggles. You want to have victory in your workplace, wherever it is. Do you want it? Yes? No? It's an actual question. Do we want victory in those things? Then put on every piece and don't miss a thing. Every morning when you get up, you put on these pieces of armor to protect yourself, to go out into the war that is around you that we can't see. Like we said, some of it's carnal, we see it, we push against it, we can acknowledge it. Some of it is in the spirit realm and we'll, we don't actually get to physically see it. But it does not mean it's not there. So the first piece, pieces of armor mentioned in Ephesians, uh, the first one is the belt of truth. And um, a belt, what does a belt do? It kind of sits in the, the middle on your pants, it keeps everything together. Tuck your shirt in, it keeps that in place. Keeps your pants up sometimes right? <laughs> yeah. The belt of truth keeps us from exposure. You don't want to get caught with your pants down. That's awkward. It's awkward. It's an expression, but you know what I mean. Truth keeps us from exposure. Living in the truth keeps us from being vulnerable. 
and truth protects us as the children of God. Without it, we are left vulnerable. We are left unprotected. We take ourselves outside of the covering of the Father and we are left exposed. And lies, once they come out, they cause shame and they cause guilt and they, they draw us away from the truth and from the things of God. And anything that is not true is a lie. It doesn't matter if it was a detail left out. It doesn't ma matter if we, we just didn't want to share that. If we're not telling the whole truth, it's a lie. We're not living in truth. And John 8.44 actually calls our enemy the father of lies. That's actually what they call him. That's like a name for him. And it says that he hates the truth. And there's no truth in him. He's such a liar, he can't even... He can't even possess any truth because he's such a liar. And when he speaks, when he lies, he speaks of his own character. It's who he is. Just like we say God is love, God is provider, God is all these things, these honorable things. The enemy is a liar. That is his character. That is who he is. That is what he does. That's all he knows. So, friends, keep your belt on. When you get up, put your belt on. Right here in the middle of everything else that we're going to talk about is the belt of truth that keeps us protected and keeps us from being vulnerable and exposed in warfare. The second thing mentioned is the breastplate of righteousness. I wish I had armor. I should have, like, I don't know, went to Target or something, got some kid armor. Next time. Next time. Now I know. But the breastplate of righteousness, what does that do? It, it covers your heart. It covers your heart, ultimately. It covers a little more than that, but the main, the main um, vital organ there that it covers and protects is your heart. Because righteous living, living above reproach, is what protects our hearts. Righteous living, being in right standing with God is part of warfare. How do we expect to win if we're not right with him? How do we expect to be um, where we're supposed to be if we're not willing to do what, we're, what we need to do? to put ourselves in a right position, to live above reproach, to not even um, allow a moment to be questioned in our life. It protects our hearts. Proverbs 4, chapter 4, verse 23 says this, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is a wellspring of life. In warfare, we must protect our hearts because our life flows from it. Not just our physical life, although we can't live without our heart, right? Like, we kind of need that. It's vital to us. In the soul, in the spirit, is the very core of who we are, our heart worth fighting for, worth protecting, and not allowing anything to harm us. An officer in the line of duty wears a chest protector because there's always a possibility of a bullet, a stray bullet coming that could potentially take them out. They're always prepared always prepared. It is imperative that we protect our hearts. There's going to be situations, there's going to th be things in our life, warfare in our lives, that will break our hearts. They will come against it. They will puncture our hearts, and we may not want to keep going because you've heard the saying, you know, die from a broken heart. Spiritually, we can die from a broken heart if we don't protect it intentionally. Protect your heart with the breastplate of righteousness. Live in right standing with him. If you're not right, make it right. Part of our warfare. Verse 15 mentions the shoes of the gospel of peace. 
Don't we all love peace? I don't like chaos. I don't like war. I don't like any of those things, but I like peace. In Greek, the word peace here means oneness or wholeness. And gospel, as we know, is good news. So part of our warfare is moving forth in the peace of the good news of the gospel. We don't drop our peace for a moment. Um, it doesn't, we don't allow ourselves to become shaky or unsteady because we're walking in peace. Shoes, what do they do? They stabilize us. I'm a little more stable in shoes than I am out of shoes, right? So in the same way, we put on the gospel. We put on the steadiness and the, the peace that has been given to us in the good news. When we stand firm in our peace shoes, we're not easily knocked off course. We stand against things like worry and anxiety, things that threaten our peace, right? The gospel of peace keeps us anchored in the war. I picture a big ship that drops its anchor and can't be moved. That's what peace does. It drops an anchor in our life and we're not moved, we're not shakable, we're not easily uh, like wandering out to sea because we know the gospel of peace. We know the God of the gospel of peace. We bring peace into every situation that we face. I can, I want to be the person that when I walk in the room, peace comes with me. I want to be the person that when I walk into my workplace and there's havoc happening, there's whatever students are losing their minds or whatever things are spinning out, that I walk in and I say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? I'm walking in your peace. Your gospel is peace. What do I do right now? What do I need to do? The opposite of war is peace. The opposite of chaos is peace. And we are called to walk in peace as his children. Knowing wherever our foot lands, we bring peace and steadiness. And I'm sure some of you have experienced it. You walk in and people are like, what is that? I just, I just felt something. You carry yourself different. What, what's that about? That's the peace that comes with the gospel. That's the peace that he gives us. Our oneness with the Prince of Peace produces peace in the war around us. Keep your shoes on. Don't take them off. Put them on every day. The next item I mentioned is the shield of faith. And as I was doing some research, I found this uh, pretty cool detail. When Paul was writing this passage in Ephesians about the armor, um, the soldiers' shields actually were covered with a really heavy like animal hide. And before battle, the soldiers would go down and they'd actually dip their, their shields in water. And so they would drench the hide in water. So when they went out to war and to battle, when the fiery darts would come, they would hit the shield and immediately distinguish, immediately just go out. They wouldn't even have a chance to, to have any sort of repercussion as they came. And so as we hold on to this weapon of faith, the shield, our faith is to be continually growing, continually um, just getting bigger in times of warfare, right? Uh, the things that we see, the situations we face should only make, like, expand our faith. I just almost picture, like, like the shield starts off smaller. It probably doesn't, actually, but this is just my head. So it starts off smaller, and as we go through things in life and we see the faithfulness of God and our faith grows, our shield gets bigger and bigger, and we're able to fight off more and more arrows as they come. When doubt comes in, we just put our shield up, you know. Um, we do this, in, and how do we do this? By being washed in the word. 
we want to be so washed in the word, so strengthened in our faith that the things meant to harm us and penetrate us really just disintegrate as soon as they come at us. The Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Faith is a result of belief and trust. It's something that grows. We're going from glory to glory, strength to strength, faith to faith. Faith is in what we cannot see and a trust in a God who has our best in mind at all times. And Psalms 28, 7 says, He is my strength, my shield from every danger. I trusted in him and he helped me. I trusted him so he helped me. I trusted in him. He helped me. My faith grew bigger. I trusted him again. He helped me. My faith grew even bigger. So as we know the word and we move forward with him, our faith only expands. The helmet of salvation. Obviously, a helmet protects your head. It's important to protect your head. And here, the symbolism there is that of protecting your mind, our minds as believers. The helmet of salvation. At the moment of salvation, we accrue a new identity. When we truly come into relationship with Jesus, we are given everything that he is. He gives it to us. And it's something we work towards, we learn more about, and we grow with him in it. But we are given it. We take on his identity at salvation. And so 1 Peter 2.9 states this is who we are as believers. It says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. But how many of us know, and you can be honest this morning, is that the battlefield that is our mind isn't kind to us all the time. It's not kind to us. It's easy sometimes to struggle it's easy to struggle in our thinking. It's sometimes um, easy to uh, allow depression to creep in. Not even allow it, it just comes. Not like we're asking for it, it just comes. Things like anxiety, residue from past experience, past traumas, they haunt us. Our minds are just a battlefield at times. Feelings of not being good enough. Feelings of just being lonely. Man, I just don't have anybody. And these things can be difficult. These moments make it difficult to remember who we belong to. It makes it difficult to remember who we became the moment we accepted Jesus. And I believe that's why we need the helmet of salvation. We need to keep that thing on at all times because it protects us from those thoughts. It speaks the truth back to those lies. We can be reminded that God is making good on the promises he's given and the, the gifts that he's given to us, which is a sound mind. Second Corinthians, and actually we read this in the prayer room this morning, chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. The world is unprincipled. It's dog-eat-dog dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair, but we don't live or fight, or fight our battles this way. Never have, and we never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation but they are for demolishing the entire massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. And another version reads this, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought and we make it obedient to Christ. That is why we wear our helmet of salvation, because we take those thoughts, those 
moments and we say, absolutely not. In the name of Jesus, no. We do not allow our minds to go there. We do everything we can. And I understand that there are times when it's bigger than that. Believe me, I do. But we start there. We start there being reminded of what we were bought with and for on the cross. Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Focus on him. Look to him. Look at him. When the enemy's tactics are messing with us, he tells us things like, how can you be saved? You're so broken. If you're a masterpiece created in his image, I guess he broke the mold with you because you don't fit any of that. He tells us things like that. He tells us things like, you'll never walk in freedom from anxiety, from self-harm, from loneliness. You'll just never make it. He's a liar. Remember, we said he's the father of lies. He's the father of lies. That's his name. Maybe you should just give up on this Jesus thing. You're not doing a good job anyway. Just stay home on Sundays. Just watch the game. Just do anything else. Go on, go on a weekend trip. Do anything but go there. You're doing an awful job. But the helmet of truth, the helmet of salvation, the helmet of truth and salvation, it says otherwise in our life. It tells us otherwise that we are bought with a high price, that Jesus cared enough and loved us enough and believed in us enough to die. He did it for us. The sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, is the last piece of armor that is mentioned in this passage in Ephesians 6. How do we fight warfare? We've got some tools. We've got some, some body armor that we've talked about. We fight it with the infallible, inerrant word of God. In the word, it is all truth, all righteousness, all justice, and all power. That is how we war. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Our sword is both defensive and offensive. You see, Greg Laurie said this one time, when I go into battle, I don't beat my enemy with my shield or try to defeat him with my belt or chase him down with a sandal or throw my helmet at him. I pull my sword out of the sheath and I use it. This weapon is what Jesus used when he was in the wilderness for 40 days. It was actually the weapon Jesus used. He used the word to fight back against the enemy when Satan tried to tempt him. So let's read Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13 really quickly. It says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil led him into Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up from their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
And Jesus answered him again with scripture, and he said, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Know your word. Know your word. This is our weaponry. This is our defense and our offense, family. Study the word. Memorize the word. Memorize it. When the battle's getting crazy, your whole life is, is falling apart, you don't even have to think about how you're going to respond. It just comes out of you naturally. It's just automatically your flow. It's automatically where you go to. Know that when he comes raging, you don't have to live in fear. We don't live in fear. We know the word. Know who you belong to. We don't shrink back and we don't back down in those moments. We fight back and we actually take the sword out of the sheath and we deliver a final blow to the enemy and we put him in his place. We send him back to hell where he belongs. The word of God is a vital piece of our warfare. In, in verse 18, the final um, thing that is pointed out, one of the final things is praying the Spirit. Those of us that have been baptized in the Spirit, I'm going to say it like this, use what God gave you. We don't often use it enough. We use it for special times, special moments. Oh, well, maybe, oh, you know what? I'm going to go to my prayer closet now. Use it in the morning when your feet hit the ground and you're getting ready to put your armor on. Use it in your lunch break as you sit in your car and you're, you're ready to go about the rest of your day. Use it when you're praying for those kids that you need desperately to come back to the Lord. Use it. Use it. Use it. It is this one-two sucker punch to the enemy. He cannot, he just can't even deal with it. It is something so powerful. And if you've never been baptized in the Spirit, we are going to talk about that in a minute. We're actually going to give you an opportunity for that. The final thing I'll conclude with, and this might be one of the most important things that I believe I'll say all morning, is don't go to war and into battle alone. At the end of eight, verse 18, it says, and pray continually for believers everywhere. No one fights alone. A soldier does not intentionally go into a war by themselves. They have a team. They have a family of soldiers, and we are the family of God. Why do we keep going to battle alone? Why? Why do we think we can take it on all by ourselves? I heard a pastor say recently, surround yourself with people that when their life erupts, so does yours. And I want to explain that because it can be easy to get the picture that says, well, when somebody's life is spinning out, I'm just going to spin out with them. And that's not what that means. That's not what that means. What it means is when your life is spinning out, you surround yourself with people that will go to war for you. They will look at you sitting on the ground and say, over my dead body, come back up where you belong, who will call out the things of God in your life and who you are and the dreams and the, the things that he has called you to. And they don't let you sit there in your funk. So often we see the wounded and we ignore or we don't walk with instead of picking them up putting them over our shoulder and say, over my dead body, let's go home. We have to do this together. We have to do this together. The war is fierce. God's already won. We know that. Because he's already won and he's already claimed victory, we do the same as his children this morning. It's so real, but our God is too good that he didn't put these things in scripture for us to say maybe they're a good idea. Put them on daily. I don't go to sleep in my clothes. We don't go to sleep necessarily in our armor per se. So every day we wake up and we put it on again. 
we put it again. We're continually washed by the word and our faith grows. We live in truth. We live righteously. We walk in peace. We keep our minds where they belong. So this morning, I'm going to ask Ryan to come. And he's going to just play for us a little bit. And what I want to do is I want to give opportunity. I want to give opportunity for a couple of things. I'm going to ask our, our prayer team to come as well, any um, our pastors that are here in the room. And I want to tell you this. I briefly mentioned praying in the Spirit. If you're a believer and you've never been baptized in the Spirit, I, I want you to come. I believe that this is a piece of your warfare that you need. I believe it's a piece of your warfare that, that um, will give you that extra, that extra in these days ahead. If you feel, if you're here this morning, you're like, man, I am in a war. I felt the attack. I felt the weight. And I've been attempting to do this by myself. I'm not wearing my armor well. I just need somebody to pray with me this morning. I'm going to ask you to come too. And we're just going to take some time. And if you need to go, I, I bless you. I release you. I know we've gone a little bit late. But I believe that there are people here that have been going through it. And this morning, the Lord wants you to know you're not alone. He wants you to know that he's given you tools and weaponry to fight and to win. So this morning, as Ryan plays, if that's you, I'm just going to ask you to come. And we'll meet you here, and we'd love to pray for you.